Yeah, welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm Jason Hawkins, and I'm on staff uh, with RUF, and I'm just really grateful that you're here. Uh, there's a lot of things that you could be doing on a Thursday night, and yet you chose to be here, and that's significant. And so I'm just really glad that you're here. I hope that when you come, this can be a place that you can come and just be yourself, where you don't have to kind of prove anything, you don't have to put up a facade uh, or anything like that, but you can just come and be accepted for who you are uh, because that's what we do when we come to Jesus. Uh, we kind of lay everything bare and he accepts us and we just hope that our community is like that. And so everything or every week we say uh, this phrase, we want to start off to kind of center ourselves and we say that you are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace and you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And that's true. It's deeply true. And as we've started our series kind of going through the parables, um, calling the series The Storyteller, that's what Thomas preached on. The first two weeks he preached on probably the most familiar parable. It was the parable of the prodigal son, as it's most commonly known. But we called it The Two Lost Sons. And those were kind of the two focuses of each week is that one son thought he was so bad that he was beyond the grace of the father. And the other son thought he was so good that he didn't need it. But we do. Uh, we do need it. And uh, God's grace does reach us. And so we just want to recognize that. And as we've been thinking about parables, uh, we've been talking a lot about how they're a story with a point. And more often than not, as we think about uh, trying to learn, especially in the kind of like the education settings that we are. We want short and simple answers, or at least I know that I did when I was in college. I just wanted the teachers to say, man, give me the short answer that I can just replicate on the test so that I get a good grade and move forward. Maybe that's you guys. Uh, maybe not, but Jesus just doesn't do that. When we ask him questions more often than not, he tells a story about a farmer and some seed, or he tells a story about somebody finding a pearl. And you're just like, what, Jesus? What's going on? I, I feel like that's how I often uh, engage with him. But he gives us stories. And these parables, they ask for us to slow down and to just dwell in them, to think deeply on them. Uh, because then, as we ask Jesus and as we spend time, then it comes more clear. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. But I'll pray for us first, and then we'll dive into the rest of the parable. Lord Jesus, uh, we come to you knowing that you accept us, uh, no matter what our day looked like today. Uh, if it was, yeah, full of things that we're deeply proud of, and we think you would be as well, or full of things that we're ashamed of, and we don't want to let anyone know, let alone God. Uh, but you know, and you care for us. And Lord, you desire for us to respond uh, to you. And so I pray that as we work through this passage and that we would respond well, that you would show us uh, places in our hearts that we need to give to you and that, Lord, that you would grow uh, a great fruit when you plant your seed in our hearts. Uh, Lord, would that be true tonight and true forever? Uh, Lord, we pray all of this in your strong and powerful name. Amen. So uh, just a little hint for whenever you're reading the Bible, just in general, context is super important. 
So the things around passages are really important, and they're especially so for the parables. And so this parable of the sower, uh, it's another pretty familiar one, or at least it was to me. Uh, And all of the times that I had really studied it, I had studied it alone. It was just kind of a part of a Bible study, just an individual passage. And every time that I read it, I thought that it was just about evangelism. That the main point of this parable was for me to put myself in the place of the sower and just spread the seed all over the place. And I think that that's part of what Jesus has for us in this parable. But when we see it in the context of everything around it, I think we see what Jesus is actually primarily doing. And so uh, the chapters just before this in Matthew, so chapters 11 through 13 is one section of the book of Matthew. And chapters 11 and 12 are full of stories of people responding to Jesus in different ways where he comes and he says something or does something and people respond. And sometimes some responded with doubt. Others rejected Jesus. Some were confused and yet some were amazed and they worshiped him. And there's any number of different ways in which we can respond to Jesus But because of the corruption of sin in our lives and our hearts, we're not naturally inclined to accept Jesus and his word and his work. But the good news of this passage is that Jesus exposes our heart so that he can plant the gospel in our lives and to grow its fruit. We're going to see that as we just move through our three main points. But first, we're going to look at why Jesus tells parables. Second, we're going to look at the seed And then we're going to look at the different soils and how they kind of represent our own hearts. So we're going to jump into the middle of our passage tonight, into verses 10 through 17. And we're going to see why Jesus teaches with parables. This is going to be helpful today. It's also going to be helpful for the rest of the semester as we think about all of the parables that we're going to be spending time in on Thursday nights. But so in uh, in verses 10, the disciples, they come to Jesus And they ask, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus gives a stereotypical answer. He doesn't just tell them straightforward, this is why. But instead, he says that there are secrets, secrets of the kingdom. And they're given to some, and others won't understand them. Then he goes and he quotes a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 6, saying that some people have hard hearts, and their eyes don't really see And their ears don't actually hear. And then he goes on and he says, uh, but some people will experience these secrets of the kingdom. There are some people who are going to understand them. And so there's something about our posture in which there are some people that are going to understand and others that won't. And he gives a hint saying uh, that we, we really need a humble heart to engage Because when we're met, when we're confronted and our eyes don't really see, it's a question of what are we going to do? Are we going to throw up our hands and just give up? Or are we going to humble ourselves and ask for Jesus to help us in the midst of that? And so the, the humble posture of our heart as we engage with the parables shows us often how we receive Jesus. And so I think about kind of the key to understanding parables. And I kind of think about 3D movies which is weird, I know. Uh, but I used to work in a movie theater. I worked at the Grand right after I graduated college. And I worked at the box office. 
So I would sell tickets to people, and when they bought a ticket to a 3D movie, then I would offer them uh, 3D glasses. And the thing is about 3D movies is they're meant to be more immersive. So you go in and you sit down, you put on the glasses, and then like, the, the scene kind of comes out to you. You're, you're almost a part of it. Like you, you, I do this every time. I kind of reach out, and I know I'm not going to actually be able to touch anything, but I do every single time. I promise you, every single time I watch a 3D movie, I do that. I'm like, no, okay. But so that's the kind of immersive experience that you have when you do that. Uh, but I don't know if any of you have watched a 3D movie and taken the 3D glasses off. It sucks so bad. Like, it's fuzzy, and if you like, just look at it for a while, you get a headache, and it's just the most frustrating experience if you're trying to watch a 3D movie without the glasses. And so it's almost like Jesus is offering us 3D glasses to understand his parables. And how we interact with that kind of shows us how we're going to interact with him. So if we buy that ticket to his 3D parable and he offers us the glasses, we can take that. And we go in and we're, we're going to have a lot better of a time in that because uh, we'll see it better. We'll understand it better. But maybe you're in a rush and you just blow right past Jesus extending the glasses. And then you're sitting in there and then you've got a choice. You're like, oh, this isn't how it's supposed to be. My eyes aren't really working. So I can either kind of humble myself, go back out and ask like, hey, what do I, what do I need to be able to watch this movie well? And then to receive the glasses that he extends. Or, uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, the people that rejected Jesus most often were the Pharisees. And more often than not, when he told them parables, they, they didn't go back and ask for the glasses. They just threw their hands up, said, this isn't what I expected. And they swear off the 3D parables and the storyteller himself over and over again. So they are upset, and that shows kind of the posture of their heart that it's hard, and that they're not really interested in meeting Jesus for who he is. So the parables, they expose our hearts. They expose our eyes, and they expose our ears. And Jesus, uh, when he quoted this, this prophecy from Isaiah 6, if you were to go back and to continue down reading through that prophecy, you'd get to a point where God says he's going to be faithful. That he's going to be faithful to his people. And, and then Jesus continues in verses 16 and 17 saying that truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And he's talking to the disciples and what they see and what they hear are Jesus, who is the Messiah, who is the, the fulfillment of all of God's faithfulness to fulfill all of the promises from the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying that you, you disciples, you get a front row seat. And it's like people wish that they could have seen me right now doing the things I'm doing. And so they, the disciples got to experience that, but so do we. As we read through the Bible, as we experience Jesus in the gospel, and as he, he, as he speaks to our own lives, we get to see him for who he is. We get to hear him for who he is. And we experience the blessing that Jesus says we have. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. I just want to rest in that for a moment. We get to experience the blessing of knowing that there's a savior for the whole world and for each and every one of us. Man, people long to see that. 
I feel like our world is crying out for that right now. We long for a Savior, but we get to see the Savior, the Messiah in Jesus. And that's just a really beautiful thing. And secondly, when we, when we go to parables, they expose really how clearly we're seeing or how hard our hearts are. And so when we come to parables, do you, do you get frustrated with Jesus? It's like, come on, Jesus, just give me the answer. I just want to know. Come on, I want to pass the test. Let's go. Or do you, do you thank Jesus? Uh, this is not normally my first reaction when I come to a parable. But I think the right posture is to thank Jesus for speaking in parables. For saying, man, Jesus, I need you to even understand what you're saying here. And then it, that, that posture helps us be curious about what he's saying. Like, oh man, Jesus, what did you mean by that? Are you going like, to help me understand it? And the beautiful part of this parable is one of the few that he does. He gives us the explanation on the back end. And so I feel like I got a pretty easy parable to preach, which I'm grateful for. So thank you, Thomas, for letting me have this one. <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to start moving into the rest of the parable. It's kind of the fullness of it. And we're going to start by looking at the seed. And so the seed is constant throughout the parable. It's really one of the only constants. The soils all change, but the seed remains the same. And we see in verse 19 that Jesus says the seed is the word of the kingdom. Like what? Okay, that's still kind of confusing. The word of the kingdom. What does that mean? So the word of the kingdom, the proclamation of the kingdom is wrapped up in Jesus's ministry. Kind of when Jesus steps on the scene in the book of Matthew, he says, Uh, repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Jesus's ministry is wrapped up in the the proclamation of the kingdom. And Jesus's ministry can be boiled down uh, to living a perfect life, to dying a death on the cross, and to being raised again to life. And that's just the gospel. And so when we come and we think about the seed, we think about all of it, The seed contains all of the power of the gospel. And people flocked to Jesus to hear his powerful gospel. Even just at the beginning of our passage, we see that there were great crowds that gathered to see him. They came and and it was so large that he had to get into a boat and kind of go out on the sea to be able to speak to all of them. And we do that too. On Sunday mornings, we come to listen to God's word. Or Thursday nights, we come and we listen to God's word. And I just think that's great. Like, man, a a carpenter turned religious teacher 2,000 years ago, his word is so powerful that people still come to hear and experience it and to have the seed kind of be planted in us. And when God, God talks about his word and his promises, that when he sends them out, they won't come back empty. They're going to accomplish the purpose that he sends them for. And so when, when God's word is proclaimed, nothing never happens. Or in a more clear way, when God's word is shared, something always happens. And so we're going to see that as we move kind of into the different soils, is that depending on which soil it is, something different happens. And so when the seed interacts with the soil, different things happen. And so we're going to look at the different soils and see what changes. And these soils, again, as we remember kind of the context of the passage, we have these different heart responses to Jesus. 
And so the soils represent that. And we're just going to move through each one of them fairly quickly. Uh, but verse 4 shows us the, the beginning, kind of the first soil. And it says that, uh, that a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. The birds came and devoured them. And so really the first question comes to mind. It's like, man, why are you sowing on a path? That doesn't seem normal. It's not like you sow in a field, right? But here's this path that in the midst of it. And I think, what if we ask if it wasn't always a path? So back, uh, back in the time when this is written, they didn't have the road systems that we do. They didn't have sidewalks to clearly delineate where you would walk. And so there'd be times where people would just make their own trail. They would want to get to point A to point B fastest. And so they might cut through a farmer's field. If you do that enough, then the soil hardens and a path is formed. But it's still a part of the, of the sower's field. And so when I think about our own hearts, more often than not, I, in my heart, I tread a well-worn path where I want to take claim of my own life, my own heart, to get from point A to point B the fastest. And I don't recognize that, that metaphorically my heart is the, is the sower's field. And I want to use it for my own purposes. But when that happens, the path gets packed down. And then when the sower sows, then it just sits right on top. And Jesus explains that that's when a bird comes and picks up the seed. And later on, he explains that this bird is the enemy. It's the evil one who comes and he doesn't want the seed to grow in any of our hearts. And so I think that that's just two things we need to recognize. There are parts of our own hearts uh, that we harden because we want to use them for our own purposes. And secondly, man, the evil one want, doesn't want the gospel to grow in your heart. He wants to take every option that he can to stop that from happening. Because if he didn't, maybe, maybe rain would come and the soil would soften and it would start to grow. And those parts of the path would be reclaimed by the sower. And I think that's the sower's desire, but it's definitely not the enemy's. And so I think that that's, those are the two parts of the first soil that we think about. As we move on to the second one, we look to verses 5 and 6, which talk about a rocky soil. And those verses say this. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. So when we think about this soil, this rocky ground, more often than not, I think like, oh, this is probably just like soil with rocks kind of like mixed up together. Uh, but this was a, a type of soil that, Back in ancient Israel, there would be a thin layer of topsoil on top of limestone. So there wasn't much depth of soil, which Jesus says. When he talks about this soil, he focuses on the thing that isn't there. He says there's no depth of soil. There's no root. And so it's this thin layer of soil that you can't grow deep in. And Jesus focuses on that. But then in the second half of our passage where Jesus explains that, he says that this is the type of soil uh, that it comes quickly. 
it, it, it grows quickly, but it doesn't have any depth of root. And then when the sun comes, the persecution or the hardships of living the Christian life, then this plant withers and it doesn't produce any fruit. And this isn't the only time that Jesus talks like this. There are plenty of times in the Bible where Jesus or the other biblical authors don't shy away from the fact that there's going to be hardships when you live the Christian life. And I wish there weren't, but I'm grateful for their honesty because it gives us a clear picture of what we're in for. But as I was thinking about, uh, so it was about a year ago, I was having lunch with uh, an older woman in my church. Uh, she's a, a dear saint to me. Uh, and she, we were talking and I was just talking about, man, if I could just like get to the next season of life where things would be easier, things wouldn't be nearly as hard. Uh, maybe you experience that too. You think, oh man, if I just get through this next test cycle, or if I, this semester is horrible. If I, I just, if I get to next semester, then it'll be better. Or once I graduate and have a job, then everything in my life will be great. That was kind of what I was talking about. But she said this. She said, Jason, no matter what, there will always be hardships in this life. But the longer you live, the more you're able to see that Jesus is faithful and he is always enough to get you through those hardships. So as we're in the midst of a very difficult season, uh, the question is, do we trust that Jesus is enough? I think the answer is a resounding yes, but it can be hard to believe that a lot of the time. And so I hope that the words from, yeah, a 60 plus year old woman saying that she's lived a wonderful life full of many hardships and she can look back and say that Jesus has been faithful. And so I hope that we can take her at her word as we, as we move through hardships. We're like, man, I'm going to look for Jesus where I can. Because I believe he's here. I believe he's enough. And he's going to get us through. I think that's the posture we need to take when we think about this other soil. As we move on, we get to the third soil. And when Jesus talked about kind of the rocky soil, he talked about what wasn't there. But then in this soil, he focuses on what is. And so Jesus talks about in verse 7, he says, Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. So he focuses on the presence of the thorns in this soil. And so the soil might be really deep. It might be really nutritious. Uh, if, if the thorns weren't there, there could be great growth. But the thorns are there. And the thorns are going to grow around the seed. It's going to steal the nutrients from the soil and it's going to choke out the plant so that it won't produce fruit. And in verse 22, Jesus says this. He says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And when I think about which soil I identify most, it's this one. I care so much about what the world thinks, what other people think of me. Uh, when I was in college just a couple of years ago, I, I thought that what, what was best for me was to be busy. Was that if, if I was going to be worth anything, I was going to have a full schedule. And so I packed it full with involvements 
with school, uh, with work, with any number of different things. And so I'd be up early in the morning and I'd be running until after midnight when I'd just be exhausted to fall asleep and start again. And I thought, man, this is how I have to, to get the best job so that I can make a lot of money and live a good life in the United States of America. But the thing is, is even, even in that, so I started off when I was pre-med and then I switched to classics and religious studies my last couple of years. And so some of my homework was reading the Bible and some of my organizations were like Christian campus ministries. And yet even in doing those things, I missed out on Jesus because I just turned him into checking a box and I didn't experience his goodness when I would read the Bible for my own, when I read the Bible for class or when I would do Bible study or whatever. So I was just like, man, I just need to do this. And I'm already thinking about the next thing. And so I missed out on Jesus in those experiences. And man, I just felt those thorns choking out my experience of the gospel. And so would you think to yourself, what's choking out your experience of Jesus? What's kind of stealing from your relationship with him? What thorns are present in your life that are trying to choke out uh, the rest that you can experience in the gospel and the fruitfulness that you can have when you engage in your relationship with the Lord? Now, oftentimes when we think about that stuff, that's pretty daunting. You're like, oh man, I've already said yes to too many things. How am I going to get out of those? I know that I'm doing too much. I know that I'm burning the candle at both ends, but I've already said yes. It's going to be painful to say no. It's going to be painful to try to pull thorns out of the garden. But Jesus is there and he wants to help. And he wants to heal the wounds that will come from that. And he wants to pull the thorns up himself. And I promise that it's going to be painful as you try to do that. But I will also promise that it's going to be so much better in the long run. It's going to be such a sweeter experience when you can take a breath during your day, where you can rest in the gospel and the beauty of what Jesus has done for you. That's what Jesus wants for you. Now, as we look at at the last soil, I want to think about how little Jesus actually says. So in verse eight, he says, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. I want to start right off the bat. I think we can often equate good soil with good people. That's not what's happening. We think that, okay, if, if the gospel is growing, it's because I'm good. And we can turn to a comparison game where if it's not growing in somebody else's life, I can say I'm better than them because it's working for me. Or we can turn the other way. It's like, oh man, I must not be good soil at all if the gospel's grown in their life and I don't see any in mine. But the Bible paints a picture that none of us are good soil on our own. None of us are going to receive the seed of the gospel on our own. But the beauty is that, that Jesus works and he, he makes us good soil. And when we think about having good soil, it's, it's a similar thing to what it means to receive the parables. So all we need is a humble heart and recognize our need for Jesus. 
When we do that, he turns the soil of our heart good. He grows the depth of it. He roots out the thorns. And he can then grow the seed within us. And what Jesus says, uh, oftentimes when numbers come up in the Bible, I think we just kind of skim over them. So when he says, and some produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30, we just go right past that. But the original people who listened to this wouldn't have. They would have been floored. Man, even the smallest yield, 30-fold what you planted. When we think about that, one seed producing 30-fold. That's abundance. Jesus is talking about abundance. He wants to grow an abundant amount of beauty, of joy, of love, of peace in our own hearts. And he promises that it's going to happen if we just help him, if we give the soil for him to till and to grow. And I just think that that's beautiful. And so as we, as we think about these four soils, I just want you to ask yourself, where are you on this spectrum? Are you the path? Is there a part of your heart that you have just walked, just kept for yourself, that you haven't let Jesus claim to grow his seed there? Are you experiencing great hardships in your life? where you're just getting scorched by them. I mean, what are they? Are there things that are choking out the gospel? Do you care more about what the world has to say, what our culture has to say, than what Jesus does? Is the enemy attacking you? Is the evil one trying to to steal the gospel from you? And wherever you fall on that, I just want you to know that Jesus is stronger than each of those things. He's stronger and he is greater than all of the hardships we could experience. He has defeated death itself. He can stop the evil one. He can root out the thorns that are choking out the gospel in your life because he took on a crown of thorns and and he died on the cross. And in his resurrection, he defeated sin and death. And so he can draw us out of our own sin and death. And Jesus, he says that he is the sower later on in our chapter. And so he's not just the storyteller, but he's the sower. And he sows on all of the soil. He doesn't just sow on good. So he's throwing his seed around. And he's desiring to grow the gospel in our own lives. And so I hope that we can take the step to receive Jesus and the gospel wherever we need it. In our own hearts. Because we all need the gospel all of the time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. Oh man, if, if there's one thing that I yeah, took away from all of that is that I need you. Lord, I need you to understand parables. I need you to show me where in my heart it's hard to you. Where in my heart I'm running to the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Yeah, what, what hardships? I don't think you're big enough to carry me through. Lord, I need you. We need you. But Lord, you are the good sower. You sow seed, and you till the soil, and you turn what is just terrible soil into good. 
and you grow a hundredfold what you sowed in our lives. And so, Lord, we praise you for that. We acknowledge your greatness and your goodness. And, Lord, we just, yeah, we admit our need and we know that you meet it. We pray all of this in your strong and powerful name. Amen. So we're starting uh, a practice this semester where uh, when we hear God's word preached in the history of the church, we have responded with praise because it's worthy of it, because Jesus is worthy of it. And so there's a song, the doxology, and the lyrics are going to be up here if you just want to switch to the next one. And we're going to sing it. And I'm horribly tone deaf. And Jesus loves a joyful noise. And so if you're horribly tone deaf as well, just sing. Because I'm going to be miked. And it's going to be bad. So like, let's praise the Lord. And so join with me in singing. As we sing, the worship team's going to come up. And then we'll close out in worship. But let's, let's go. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.